we probably ought to ban you. This is a anyone else have to religious or anything? Yeah, we should get started. War. Stop talking about armpits. Yeah, (laughs) you guys are obsessed with my armpits, and that's weird. There's your heart open. Hey everybody, welcome back to Human Reaction, episode 51. We are glad to have you here. We are your weekly source for independent commentary on news, politics, and culture. And it's always our job to arm you with the tools that you need to cut through media misdirection and resist the mononarrative. I've got my friend David Rand here. What are we talking about, David? The Biden impeachment uh, moves forward into a formal process that will result in the actual impeachment. So this is we've been building this all summer and it's now coming to a head. Uh, They invited Hunter Biden to come into a backdoor meeting and uh, behind closed doors and he left them on red. Second, we're going to talk about the National Defense Authorization Act, which is a very important annual authorization bill for the military. Two important amendments that were on there and a big fight around both privacy, Pfizer courts and the UFOs. Wild. And while you guys are here, like, comment, subscribe on whichever platform you're at. Um, we have been seeing a lot of growth on our YouTube lately, which has been awesome. We made it over 500 yeah. subscribers. Woo-woo! Thank yeah. you. Last two episodes have done pretty well, too. And uh, just while you're here, uh, there's chapter marks down below. Um, jump to whichever topic that you want to listen to, whatever you're most interested in. And also join our Discord because we meme a lot in there and it's kind of fun. We do meme a lot. Uh and on that note, uh, I think we should we should maybe go straight to something that was shared with us uh, pretty recently in the Discord regarding uh, this whole Hunter Biden experience. Yeah, we got we got live footage from his uh, his own special little meeting that he had, rather than talking to the House GOP that invited him to uh, come to pose. I'm here today to answer at a public hearing any legitimate questions Chairman Comer and the House Oversight Committee may have for me. <laughs> I'm here today to make sure that the House Committee's illegitimate investigations of my family do not proceed on distortions, manipulated evidence, and lies. Oh, God. Yeah. So they were basically like, hey, Hunter, come on in, and we're going we're gonna to have a closed-door meeting where we're going to ask you some questions about these things. And we can get to what the case is. We want to do a deep dive on the case just to remind everybody because we haven't talked about it for a long time, but it's always like little pieces as they kind of trickle in. And he basically said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to have my own little press hearing where I'm going to do this. And, of course, he showed up in all the classiness of his laptop there. I mean, I thought I thought his outfit, you know, while we're on the topic, I thought his outfit was fairly appropriate for his brand. You know, <laughs> you got to criticize his outfit since I'm now the fashion critic of the show. I didn't want to disappoint Hannah, who's, who's coming here now, apparently for my 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 fashion critique. So that's for you, Hannah. So so what does this what does this mean? So first of all, why would he do this? Like, why would he not go into a closed door meeting? but instead go air all this stuff publicly. Well, I mean, it does give him an opportunity to attack the Republicans, right? So he called them shameless. He said uh, he did acknowledge his laptop for the first time. I think publicly he acknowledged that was a thing. And he called it not directly. He called it stolen property. No, it wasn't stolen. He left it at a computer repair store and then like left it there for years until eventually it got picked up by somebody, right? And like yeah, probably because he was too and high. The, and got the guy picked up the, by James O'Keefe, right? No, 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 no. Originally? The owner of the store delivered Delivered it to the fbi oh Mm -hmm. yeah right so it's not like he leaked it to anybody he gave it well i mean i don't know how exactly how it came out 
uh, publicly, but he did give it to the FBI. Where am I getting James O'Keefe? Was that a different Biden situation? That was the his daughter's diary. That was diary. the daughter's diary thing. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Yep. So the House is likely to hold him in contempt uh, for refusing to come. Um, the same process as they did while Bannon was doing the I'm Trump impeachment. Come. Sorry, I was a little slow on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to pick Joe, up the speed, Joe. Joe got a new toy, and it's going to be the life or death of the show. It really <laughs> is. It really is. It's uh, it's going to be great. You guys are going to love it. So the uh, I and I got to get used to actually sticking with a point once you do it because I just totally <laughs> broke my trade of process. It's all right. You keep doing it. I will adapt. So same process they did with Bannon. Interestingly, so Bannon also said no, and then they did a formal inquiry, and then they did a formal kind of like you come. <laughs> to the meeting. I'm going to come. <laughs> or, we can't do it every time. Or you're going to be in contempt. Right. Uh, and then Steve Bannon did appear. So what? So why didn't he? Good question. Closed door proceedings have are one more intimate. They're longer, right? An open proceeding is that hour kind of time frame, maybe a little bit longer, but not by much. If you look at other closed door proceedings of this kind, it can be six to 10 hours. So that's very intense. And once you're in there, you're in there. Um, you testify not just to the public and like to congressmen who have to do all the questioning, like an open hearing. You also have staff there and you have lawyers and investigators who are acting on behalf of congressmen. So so that is a much more official uh, place where he, he may feel it may actually be more threatening to him from a legal perspective to actually attend that that meeting exactly right and and then additionally that's so think of like he could either do a police meeting or he could do like a media spectacle yeah his best strategy is media spectacle right right well and this so this is interesting so um you mentioned steve bannon because they they uh wanted him to come before congress and and uh you know say what he had to say around the whole trump i think it was j6 situation right and mm-hmm. he refused and then he was arrested right mm-hmm. for contempt of congress mm-hmm do you expect that anything like that will happen to Hunter Biden? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, like that's what they're threatening though. They've overtly said, Hey, we're going to do this. If you don't come <laughs> next, this next time, <laughs> <laughs> I won't do it. We got the point. <laughs> well, you got to go. Do not come. <laughs> do not come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I, this thing is for fun, but it should not be used inappropriately. You know, with great responsibility comes or wait, great power. Fool me once. That's a clip we need to have on there. You need to put that on there. Yeah. Anyways, let's continue. So, okay, so let's continue on with this. What what does yep. this all what does this all mean? Well, the House GOP statement kind of has is making their case. The House GOP has to say, "Here's why we're doing this," and continue to make that case. Now, the the Democrats also did a hearing where they said, "This is all just a big frame job. It's all because they just hate Hunter Biden. This is all political. There's no here here." Uh, while the GOP had their statement, tens of thousands of pages of documents. Uh, we have lots of specific questions. This is an investigation about public corruption at the highest levels of our government. The American people expect Congress to investigate this because I think one thing that Chairman Jordan's proven is uh, the FBI, the DOJ, and the IRS, as we've heard from the whistleblowers, have all dropped the ball. So the House Sorry. Oversight House Judiciary Committee are conducting this credible investigation that an overwhelming majority of Americans want. We have specific questions for the president's son. He does not get to dictate the terms of this subpoena. I would just point out that I've had a chance now to review what Hunter Biden said in his, his press conference. And I think he made an interesting statement. He said his father was not financially involved in the business. And I think that qualifier, the word financially, is, is important. 
because once again, it shows another change, another change in this story. First, it was no involvement. Then, no, I never never talked to anyone. And then we find out about the dinners, the meetings, the phone calls, and everything else. Now, it's oh, he wasn't involved in the business financially. I think that is important. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the reasons we want to talk to Hunter Biden. Second thing I would say is this. In a few hours, I think the House of Representatives is going to pass the, the impeachment inquiry. Yeah, so it, Jim's right. And that's exactly what happened after this press briefing. Uh, they went out and they passed that with you know good support. And so the impeachment inquiry is into President Biden. Yes. yes. Which obviously pertains to his dealings with his son's mm-hmm. business. It's very obvious. And there's a there's obvious that we know a couple things. One, Hunter Biden is definitely a felon, right? In the sense of like he did he did not. It's a if I remember right, it's a felony to uh, to operate as a lobbyist for a foreign government without registering. No doubt that he did not do that. Second, he had substantial tax fraud problems that he's currently being investigated for. And there were specific whistleblowers about that. But that's not what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about isn't his legal problems. It's how his legal problems connect to the president. Because everything that he has is because of his connection to his dad, who has been a senator for a very long time. And he's obviously been trading on that. So what is the case that the House Republicans have to go on here? So one, we have the text messages, which we've covered before, which are the euphemisms to the big guy, right? Where he's basically saying, you do this, I'll do this. The big guy needs X on X date, that sort of thing. Uh, second, talk about the Biden family as a mafia. There, he, it's like his text message to his sister was like, hey, I had to loan this money to dad. I had to give this money to dad after he gave me this money. And this is how we operate in the Biden family and all this kind of stuff like this very insular the Biden as a brand kind of talk that makes it look like he is collaborating with his father in an effort to exercise pedal well, and, or and, influence pedal. And also remember, uh, I, I can't remember the guy's name, the guy that he worked with, but he was interviewed by Tucker. And that guy, remember, that guy was yeah. just like, yeah, Hunter would just be like taking calls from his dad in the middle of like really important meetings. Like, and it's a very clear mm-hmm. like, oh, the vice president's calling my father, wink, wink, you know, <laughs> like it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty overt. Um yeah, what was that guy's name? We'll have to look. I'm that looking up. it up. Yeah. It's, um... And there, there were also there were also the bank statements, right? Because that that was kind of the smoking gun of all of this, right? Is the actual bank statements that show that money was transferred from one of Hunter's like Chinese associates into his account, and then there were like all these like large deposits made from Hunter's account into Joe Biden's account, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like, uh, the is, business partner's name is Tony Bublinski. <laughs> No, that wasn't <laughs> no, the guy that no, was interviewed. That's, that's not the guy. That's uh, not the Tucker guy Carlson. Or, no, this is 2020. That's a different. Yeah, uh, there's guy. a lot of guys. <laughs> oh, geez. So Obviously, many. some Why kind of criminal network here. The suspicious bank transfers, right yeah. between Biden, his his sister, and Hunter. Um, 1.6 million dollars in cash withdrawals from Hunter Biden's account. Because if you're going to transfer money, the overt transfers obviously are going to be traceable, but cash less so. Now, one of the things that's been justified by Democrats is like, hey, you're just persecuting this guy because he has a drug problem, right? And he actually made that. He's A lot of his speech to the press was a public appeal for sympathy. He's like, I'm the victim here of Republicans being bullies because I have these problems. I, you know, I've got psychological problems. I got my addiction problems, et cetera. And I, you know, my dad has always been supportive and helpful for me. And they're like trying to tell this story to gin up sympathy. Yeah. yeah he's just Biden. like, he, yeah, he's just like, I'm just like a struggling artist, man. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, Has he come out uh, with like pronouns or is he a part of a different marginalized he hasn't group? He not done that yet. Because that might that be, yeah, might be an interesting case for him to, to look into. This guy literally grew up in the lap of luxury. Like there's, this guy had every benefit on the planet of his dad being a senator and wealthy his entire it's so frustrating he's a victim of white privilege yeah 
He's a victim of it. Yeah. A victim? Let's listen to ourselves. Yeah, oh, yeah. A victim of white privilege. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, $1.6 million. They said that's only for drugs. Could you imagine $1.6 million just on drugs? Sounds I mean, like a hell of a party. I mean, it's been many years. Like, there's a lot of cocaine he's got to over go what time frame? <laughs> that, that's. <laughs> I mean, anyway. there's different markets when he's traveling to different places. To be clear, and he's like, <laughs> that's not for the prostitutes. The prostitutes are on the card. Like, we know the prostitutes yeah. spending. Like, that's like, right because those are those are meals and entertainment. Yeah, those are yeah. <laughs> those are all tax deductible. Those are all tax deductible. Right. We know this because it was tax. Were problems. the drugs tax deductible? that entertainment yeah entertainment depends on which three-letter agency you ask right (laughs) so we also have the dinners and meetings where that's like uh, the Devin archer stuff and like biden being called into meetings and things like that uh suspiciously well-paid art purchased by democrats that's what you were mentioning him being a struggling artist is another one of that he actually made reference to that he made reference a lot of these actually but from like his point of view right so he's just like my dad was never involved with my business especially as an artist no, like, right. like I, mm. I specifically remember, I listened to him. He got on Twitter spaces. He got on Mario Nafal's Twitter spaces um, to pitch his art and like his NFT projects and stuff like that mm. back in the day. Like, like, well, all this stuff was like just starting to boil up. He's just like, I'm just like a struggling artist. <laughs> like, and he was trying to like play that off. It was the whole thing. Well, and, and this is what the Republicans were looking at. And, it, and don't, don't get me wrong. He could actually be an artist. Right. Do we have any pictures of his actual art? Oh, have you ever seen I, I've, I have seen that. I haven't really looked point. at it. So let's, let's bring it up. But art. The suspiciousness of this is the is if you were going art is often used for money laundering. Right. This is known. NFTs are accused of being used for money laundering. Right. Because it's like a way to money launder with crypto. But online. Yeah. It's like NFTs. the worst form of it because you can just track it all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's exactly. That's what people who don't know crypto will often say. But um when you're dealing with cash and money, you know, or payments, you can offer a service. It looks like a real like product. And then people just overpay because people overpay for art. Right. So you have this very subjective question of what is the value of a piece of art? And, you know, overall, we do understand that like established artists with a great, like, you know, reputation for art are more likely to draw higher prices than completely unknown artists who, you know, are also suspiciously paid lots of money to be on boards that they have no expertise of or things like that. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into the Burisma story in just a second. Yeah. So uh, the, the a New York City gallery unveils new $225,000 Hunter Biden painting and two buyers are interesting are interested. And apparently they're like big Democratic donors. Um. I don't know. I haven't dug into this at all, but yeah, right. Yeah. Like there's like a whole gallery for him here. Are those his? Um, seems, I don't know if those are his. Or if that's just what seems the suspiciously yeah, you, good. you guys didn't give oh, me enough there, time. There's to, him painting. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's just a painter. He's just a painter. I should scroll down. There's some stuff going on over at Twitch and an article on that on the <laughs> side. <laughs> is this his? Um, it appears so. Yeah. Haiku is open to the public and features much stronger works. Much <laughs> This is Owen Clear. Oh, okay. So those must be his. He's taking a picture with them. Yeah, th- this is actually this guy. This guy Bo. He's like some big Hollywood guy. Th- he was the guy on the Twitter Spaces like a year ago that I was oh, when I was listening to Hunter Biden. Or that's his son. Oh no. Oh. But Hunter Gallerist. Biden with his young son Bo. Oh and, no. Yeah, okay. No. That's George. George's. George oh yeah. George's Burgess. Burgess. George's Burgess or something like that. How do you say that? Of, yeah. We need a French uh, French speaker on the show to know. Yeah. I don't well, know. You, what, nice, nice Mandela here. I mean, yeah. it's not bad art. Not bad art. Yeah. Snake the question his tail. is just, it is interesting when you have 
a pay for access scheme where you pay his son. How can you do that in a way that's has the look of legality? Can we be sure he's actually even painting these though is the question. Yeah. I mean, we have a picture of him painting. I mean, look at it. Evidence, digital (laughs) evidence, (laughs) evidence of Hunter Biden painting something. Uh, His elbow is down and any artist who's painted will tell you that's a bad idea. I mean, shouldn't it be on an easel? (laughs) That Twitch thing. It just (laughs) pops out right at me. I guess. Anyways, I think we need to get Adam Schwankel's input on this. What do you mean? Uh, you know, the, the legitimacy of a guy painting like that. Is that the way any, any oh, Adam Schwankel, real, yeah. real painter paints? Because I, I don't know. Now I'm going down the rabbit hole. Is Hunter Biden actually even an artist? Is he even doing those pieces? Mm-hmm. Are we unraveling a conspiracy theory? There might be something <laughs> that, here, you guys. Is that what we're doing? There well, might be something here. And, and it's and it's not like the like the Democrats try to paint it like it was just like some crazy conspiracy. They're like, they're just being crazy when it's... I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it, it on, is, man. it looks like, come on, man. It's too slow, man. <laughs> I don't have it. You don't have it yet. I don't oh, have it yet. Oh, man. They were rushing me pre-show and I couldn't load up the button. Come on, man. <laughs> it's okay. We'll get next, next time. time. So it, it, it's pretty, it's sensible, right? At minimum, it's sensible and it should be investigated. And that's what this all means is the RN plot. And of course, the most dramatic one, the one that has the most cost in terms of American tax dollars and lies and consequence is the Burisma story. All right. Long story short, there's an AG. He's investigating an energy company in Ukraine called Burisma. Burisma deals in China. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Liquid natural gas. <laughs> I, I didn't have that one. Off. <laughs> and other petroleum products. You didn't have liquid natural gas prepared? <laughs> I did not. They did paid not. Hunter Biden an insane salary, right? Tens of thousands of dollars per month. Uh, maybe hundreds of thousand dollars per month. I can't remember. It was just an insane amount. Yeah, it was a large. Uh, Biden flew out uh, to freaking Ukraine and threatened them and then said, you know, Biden's going to or they're going to hold back this weapons deal. Uh, Obama's going to hold back this weapons deal from you guys so that you don't have the weapons to fight the Russians, even though we want you to. But yeah, 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 which sounds unless odd, you fire this AG, which sounds oddly similar to <laughs> what Trump was impeached for because it was like a weapons deal hold back to investigate Hunter Biden and all this corruption with Burisma. It's just interesting. Right. Hmm. The administration fires that AG, uh, the Ukrainian administration, and then the investigation ends. That AG has been interviewed by Western media repeatedly since then. That AG, I can't remember his name right now, um, was given multiple awards for his integrity in fighting corruption in Eastern Europe and in, in Ukraine specifically. No joke, the UN was saying how great this guy was. Mere moments before Biden flew in and said, this guy's corrupt, you should fire him, and they fired him. So why that has such huge consequence is that what it it shows is like his connection to Burisma was directly informative of the Biden administration's policy, which looks like foreign influence peddling. He's doing on behalf of his son's company that he happens to be involved with. In fact, that's why their son's company paid a guy who has no experience whatsoever in the extraction of hydrocarbons from the ground to burn an energy to be part of their board. Doesn't even speak the language. Doesn't even speak the language. (laughs) But how how much should they pay him again? Uh, Six figures a month. 
something like um, over a billion three hundred million trillion three hundred million dollars something like that (laughs) that, plus or minus that's probably what what Biden was talking about right there he's just like that's what you gotta pay my son guys set you up for that one that was so good you do it like that that was perfect so so, so what is the so they're going to impeach him right yeah oh and additionally there's hundreds of thousands of remaining emails that have been requested but not delivered by the administration about this right so internal White House uh, emails to contacts and and people around Hunter Biden. So I I just want to get that out there too. Like that's a big part of this is that until they actually go into the formal impeachment process, because everything up to this has just been investigation through the committee, which only has a certain range of powers. This will expand their powers greatly to hold the administration to account. Otherwise the administration, the president and everything in the executive branch violates the law for not obeying. And the same thing with uh, criminal potential for Hunter Biden and his associates for depositions. Wow. Before we go into the impeachment process, because that's where we're headed, yeah. I do want to ask the audience to uh, drop us a comment really quick and tell me if the stream deck is a good addition or terrible, distracting, awful thing that we shouldn't use in the future. Because <laughs> right now I'm pretty undecided about it. Um, I think I think you, we just gotta get we gotta more, get in the flow. Yeah, yeah. we gotta get more yeah. in the flow. Yeah. Right, right now it's like. I'm still Disruptive. figuring it out. Yeah. Well, so now I've now I'm officially the class clown sitting in the back, like blowing spit wads at the back of your head. Okay. So the impeachment process. Uh, let's let's walk through that. What is what does that look like for me? Right. So there's a formal vote for impeachment inquiry, which basically gives this judiciary committee more powers to pursue the case. Uh, impeachment process starts. The subpoena powers, etc. They all build the case. The House then votes to impeach the president. It moves to the Senate. The Senate then conducts the actual impeachment trial uh it's overseen by chief justice of the united states so he's like the mediator but it's eventually a vote of two-thirds majority in the uh in in the senate uh to impeach actually if it goes through the basis for impeachment are treason bribery high crimes or misdemeanors that's the constitutional standard um all of those are defined by congress high crimes is probably the less so um but it's you know it has a legal definition now, as we've talked about before, the Republicans don't control the Senate. So it's it's unlikely, if not impossible, really, that this impeachment actually happens, right? But they'll go through the process and there'll be, you know, all this discovery of, you know, various things. And this will be all be on the record and it'll be very damaging from a public perception point of view for President Biden going into an election. This obviously has implications, right, uh, as far as, you know, who is going to run. And, and I, of course, we don't know, but like... Should it succeed, who who would become the president? Who would become the president, Kyle? Well, I I regret to inform you guys, or or maybe maybe you guys would be very positive about this, but uh, this this woman right here would become president if something were to happen to uh, Mr. Biden. We all watched the television coverage of just yesterday. That's on top of everything else that we know and don't know yet based on what we've just been able to see, and because we've seen it or not, doesn't mean it hasn't happened. But just limited to what we have seen. What? (laughs) (laughs) Words of wisdom. Could not have said it better myself. In fact, it sounded like she was quoting you. (laughs) (laughs) And and let's not forget, I mean... Does Kamala listen to the podcast? I think she might. might. I think she might. Well, she certainly must keep up on our coverage of AI because she's obviously, you know, one of the the leading she is thinkers the leading on the topic. Experts. I mean, in her own words. 
AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's first of all, it's two letters. And and you know what? I I, I could not agree more. So. <laughs> I think we would be in good hands if Kamala was running the White House. You know, I mean, at least as good a hands as as a guy who can't navigate stairs. Yeah. And well, there there has always <laughs> been this like there has always been this conspiratorial idea that's existed of like they clearly don't want Biden to run like the the DNC and they're trying to push him out and they have been trying to push him out for a while and they're just kind of getting everything all the cogs in the machine to do that so somebody like a Gavin Newsom or something could rise up in 2024. Like that has always been kind of in the ether for years now that that was the case. Did either of you watch the debate between Newsom and DeSantis? I didn't. They had like the governor's debate, California versus Florida. Avoided like the plague. Yeah. (laughs) I I happened to watch some, some clips of it and it certainly seemed like DeSantis like basically wiped the floor with, with Newsom. I mean, he, Mm. he didn't really have like that much to stand on in terms of like his gubernatorial record, particularly around COVID. I mean, and granted this is from, from sort of more of the conservative echo chamber. So I don't know. There's probably stuff rattling around the, you know, the other, you know, media outlets that would suggest that, that Newsom did better, but I don't know. He just didn't really seem like from the clips that I saw that he had a lot to offer the country. Yeah. He's not, the inte- like intellectual powerhouse that like DeSantis is like DeSantis is actually like well studied in like policy and history and things like that and and uh, Newsom's much more of a just cocktail party goer come on man you know yeah. he's that guy yeah. right yeah. yeah he's he's much more just like in for the prestige and things like that he's not like a big you know ideologue or anything that like actually believes in things you know he's just willing to sell his soul for whatever yeah we'll get him well, and, and newsom's been making moves for a while now like he went on truth social to like combat the conservatives and things like that like he's trying to like make a name for himself as a fighter and it's just like it's time for a new new generation and like biden's just too old like he just couldn't get it all done he just doesn't have the energy like like newsom's been that guy right mm-hmm. in the balance of the power right now you're right is 51 democrats 49 republicans so they would need a substantial amount of democrats to impeach the president so your theory will come true if there's actually a need to do that, to do, do that. But that said, it would be incredibly damaging to the to Democrat brand. Yeah. For example, after the in, just impeachment threat that resulted in a president resigning after Watergate, the Republicans took a shellacking after Nixon for a decade. So, I mean, pretty much from Nixon all the way up until 1994, there's not a single Republican majority in Congress. Hmm. Well, did, uh, did Clinton's impeachment scandal have any deleterious effects on the democrats at that time well i mean obviously in 2000 the republicans did really well i suppose you're right you know uh, and, and it was probably some of that it was also you know the weakness of al gore maybe i don't know i i, I don't know it's hard to say yeah i mean he's such a likable guy al gore so that really doesn't uh well, and, and, can't figure that one out well and most people don't actually understand what impeachment is like like you know like when trump was impeached everyone on Twitter seemed to think like Trump was going to jail. Like at that moment, it's just like, why is he not in jail yet? How is he still president? Like everybody was like freaking out. It was like, Oh my God, he's like defying the impeachment. It was like, well, that's not what impeachment means. Like for some reason, people think that impeachment means like president's going to jail or, you know, right. he's getting kicked out of office. And it's just like, no, we're just bringing investigations forward and things like that. Yeah. Right. It's very different from like a uh, parliamentary democracy, yeah. right? Where you have a vote of no confidence for your leadership. It's very fundamentally different. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. 
His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. So speaking of uh, the Senate and the House, uh, we had this bill, the NDAA, come up this week. And it was kind of a it was kind of an issue that raised a lot of eyebrows for people. There were a couple of components of that that were particularly concerning. Do you want to dive into that? And yeah, and yeah. Kind of lay the stage for us. So that's usually what the NDA is. Usually what the NDA is every five years, you have to reestablish FISA. And every year you have to reauthorize various different military engagements, what authorizations or spending. What? FISA is the foreign something something court it's pretty much your court your secret court for spying on people that's what well, it is well, and i always forget foreign internet surveillance authority well and, and what ndaa stands for is uh the uh national, national annual reauthorization act national, national defense national defense yes that's national defense and i knew that one i yeah. just don't know uh, and fisa is foreign intelligence surveillance there act. we go yeah so fisa was an act in order to try to reel in uh, the surveillance state uh, to give them accountability to the judicial branch, uh, kind of like a warrant, but that would be secret. So it's, I mean, zooming way back, right? Zooming way back is we were once a republic and now we're an empire. There was a counter-revolution somewhere between 1910 and the Great Depression and World War II that changed our entire country's orientation to how it deals with the rest of the world and how it thinks of itself so internally. We decided we need a permanent spy agency I mean, it was controversial before 1910 to even think that we needed a permanent military, much less a permanent spy agency called the OSS and then the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we need a bleep button on the stream deck just so, I, just so we don't get censored on YouTube, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. <laughs> Fed boys, you know? <laughs> um, where it then, it then caused a bunch of problems right we had former assassinations you know uh, millions of people over many decades being effectively run into the ground and murdered in uh in nicaragua uh iran contra to the you know watergate scandal to all these other scandals within the intelligence agencies across the from the 1950s 40s to the 1970s church commission comes in other sorts of reforms FISA is one of those reforms that say we're going to try to hold this in a little bit, reel this in without losing what we like about it, which is that there is no public accountability. That there, everything is behind a closed door. So FISA is a secret court uh, for the surveillance of foreign nationals and Americans when they get caught in the dragnets of these things. Um, this is a key part of Edward Snowden's release. So Edward Snowden, everyone remember that guy? 20, back in 2013? 2013, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gangster (laughs) (laughs) yeah edward snowden who is an amazing american hero he basically came out and said and showed the public hey this is the turnkey tyranny of these systems imagine this someone gets caught in a dragnet while you're investigating a foreign agent and you say uh i need authority to go look through this guy's messages on what we have in like the big data bank that pretty much captures internet traffic you're going to go query that data bank to pull out an american's private messages your process for fisa according to edward was going down to a drop down menu and clicking approved <laughs> and then on, out of that and that's the turnkey kit tyranny that's what he's saying wow right it's like the very very low um effort that were required for an nsa agent and other in- agencies that have access to tools to access this stuff to get access to um 
uh, American information. Wild. So, uh, part of this, uh, why Republicans are so enraged about this, is intel agency abuse of the Trump campaign, surveillance of the Trump, cam- Trump, Trump campaign by Obama's FBI, which showed that obviously it can be politicized. Um, which we now know is true. Like that was like a crazy thing Trump was saying when he was entering the presidency that Obama was spying on him, but turns out that was true. Right. right. And then we also have like the, the Congress has made various different like requirements non-enforceable requirements of the FBI because only the Gang of Eight really knows what's going on. The Gang of Eight is the only check from the legislative branch on the executive branch when it comes to spying stuff. And guess who's in the Gang of Eight? Who? The worst possible people, right? Sick. Like all, all your like GOP and Democrat leaders who are the most purchased by the system, of course, uh-huh. uh, which are like your head of the Intel Committee and how did the in the House and the Senate and the head of the Speaker and the head of the, the uh, Majority Leader. So the, for example, there was a request to say that you're going to have to write down why you're requesting all these things for Congress to audit when you request this information. They searched 3 million American records and only put down a dozen reasons. What? Right. That's the FBI, which is supposedly reportable to the president and reportable to Congress for their violations of your privacy. Out of uh, 278,000 known violations of the rules Congress currently has on the Intel bros, uh, this program currently has, uh, they've basically been prosecuted zero or changed anything for many decades. In fact, they've been given more authority since the war on terror to violate these sorts of things. So the question is, is how should it be reformed and what was FISA going to do? So there were amendments to this to try to reform this run by Mike Lee. Um, was to one require a public court uh, without uh, without a warrant requirement that would be like the effective minimum right you got to bring this into the light when they're doing american you know queries second uh, over um public oversight by com- congress was a big part of them and then third which has been advocated by some people is just to abolish the database altogether like you can't you can't just collect all of americans data so that you can query it later like one it has tremendously bad strategic problems right so if someone can hack that database they get all the information uh second if you it obviously is rife with abuse we know this from both the edward snowden case but other other cases that we discovered like the nsa had a program where they were spying on and collecting the messages inside world of warcraft all right and we know that in discord and stuff you didn't know that no oh that's one of my favorite ones man and wow and wow yeah 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 they, they were like trying to track down terrorists through world of warcraft and they, they the intelligence agencies were embedding people into like the game to track people down because it was like a way to communicate people or like behind the scenes kind of a thing um i don't know if anything actually came out of it but it, it because like world of warcraft was such like a phenomenon at the time yeah and, like there was 20 million people playing it all around the world, right? So Section 702 has been addressed by, you know, uh, civil liberties advocates for a long time. For example, Fox News and others like CNN reporters have been caught in dragnets about this and then had substantial, you know, problems because they got crossways with Section 702, which itself is a result of the terror wars, like at least the current, you know, iteration of it. So... um the kind of short story on that is Mike Lee and Rand Paul, they ran the effort to remove uh, FISA authorization from the NDA. Just get it out of it so they could have a separate debate about it. Right? Yeah. Makes total sense. Failed. Um, it narrowly fails in the Senate. Um, Naturally. You had 
you know, a larger group of people who voted to remove it. And then when that failed, voted for the NDAA, right, itself. So like, oh, well, was a, we tried. Yeah, there's, Never a, mind. there's a smaller group who voted, you know, for, uh, you know, against both or sorry, voted for both voting against sorry voted for removal blah, 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 blah. you're gonna make fun of me I, ha- I have to have something you're for this too slow. i don't have anything for this uh, look i'm brand new okay i gotta practice we'll <laughs> do this one <laughs> not appropriate thank you thank you <laughs> we're gonna get there guys Cut that out. we're gonna Cut get that there <laughs> um, anyway you're gonna load up those buttons mean eventually so there's just so many of them. I have uh, 10 times more things to do now. A very small group voted against the NDAA because it had FISA in it. That's my point, right? And those were, you know, your best actors in the Senate. It then gets over the house. The house tries to remove it too. It fails again. And then it goes, so I'm sorry. We've got bad news for you guys. The NDAA is almost always bad news. Other than the fact that for the first time we had two good things almost happen. So things to celebrate. What are those? Well, one, the fact that we almost removed it. I mean, we're only a couple of votes short in the Senate, right, uh, to remove FISA from the NDAA so we could have a separate debate about it. If we would have had a separate debate about it, it's very likely that could have gone a different direction. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to un the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. And the other one is the UAP thing, which is unmanned, unidentified aerial phenomenon, otherwise known as UFOs. We're now rebranding for UAPs because... UFOs have too much baggage, which I actually support that. That's probably wise. I mean, if you're going to travel in space, you're going to need to bring some baggage. Am I right? Ah, Dude, somebody, somebody just give me that boo. crook. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like in these NDAAs, there's always stuff that gets slipped in through the cracks and sometimes good, sometimes bad, usually bad. Like back, back under Obama's administration, they slipped in the ability to detain citizens without warrant, you know, like, like, Usually this is where a lot of the tyranny comes in is through exactly this bill is this reauthorization bill. Mm -hmm. So uh, the UAP hearings, um, you guys all remember a couple months ago, we covered this David Grush, the Tic Tac video. We looked, we looked at that video, that like little ball that was caught in like in Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that. And it flies across the screen and like tracks that strange silver orb flying at really fast from a lower altitude than the, I think, Warthog uh, airplane that was tracking was watching it. it. Yeah. yeah. That, this is a kind of a result of that. So you have this committee of Republicans that they, they've now become the Republican UAP caucus or this what? UAP caucus. They formed a caucus. Not formally. It's just kind of like their name. Oh. It is for Republicans and Democrats, but majority Republicans who are investigating from the House this phenomena, right? Where they're trying to push on disclosure and trying to do something about this and a place for like whistleblowers to come to. Gotcha. Yeah. And this was established previously by, um, Harry Reid actually is one of the, like the cornerstones of a lot of this. He was super interested in aliens. Super into it. Super into it. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because he is one. Nevada, probably. He's from Nevada. (laughs) Yeah. All of our Nevada listeners. (laughs) Give us the download. Super into aliens. (laughs) That's right. Um, 
Interesting. So there was a much more watered down version of the effort that eventually, and I want to quote this because it, it quote, directs the National Archives to collect government documents about unidentified anomalous phenomena, technologies of unknown origin and non-human intelligence, right? So that's what's actually passed. So there was a small change to the NDAA in that direction, but it was way less than what we could have got if we had gotten um, Chuck Schumer put in an, uh, an amendment and an even stronger one came in in the House side. So kind of the story is, is any record, it, it, the, 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 the end result though was the most watered down possible result. It's a quote, any records not already officially disclosed must be made public within 25 years of their creation, unless the president determines that they must remain classified for national security reasons. Once you have that last sentence there, it's a dead bill. Yeah. Because overclassification is like the problem across the Pentagon and the FBI and all these things in order to keep any kind of accountability to Congress. And we know this. This is like the Kennedy assassination is a great example. No revelations for all these years for that purpose. I mean, there have been lots of documents out, but there's still, even this long, we still don't have everything. Uh, much less other, there are other things that happen, for example, um, you know, around the Kennedy assassination that we still have no information on. Or 9-11, right? We still don't have tremendous amounts of the 9-11 report that have been redacted. Why? So, um, that lack of accountability is kind of like the key like leverage point that they're both prying on from both the house and the Senate side. Um, the New York times kind of explains it, that there was a, the two c- approaches from the house and the Senate couldn't be reconciled. So like the, the, the Schumer amendment pretty much reduplicates the JFK approach. And like the house was a little bit stronger. What they're said is um, that they had to release, you know, documents while Schumer was much more controlled and they could keep more things private. Uh, Burchett, who's kind of been the leader on this in the house, says, quote, we got ripped off. We got completely hosed. They stripped out every part of mm. the rogue bill. And they, so when they couldn't reconcile the House and the Senate good versions in the process of doing that, they slipped in this terrible version, which, you know, is what passed. So Burchett, Burchett said, and this is really important, right? Because this kind of lowers the veil, quote, the intelligence community rallied to kill this proposal and tamp down the more aggressive ones to compel broader disclosure. Another person uh, with fam- who was familiar with the talks who insisted on anonymity, I can never say that word. Anonymity. Anonymity. An- anonymity. To describe, uh, describe. No, no. Keep going. <laughs> I saw the hand move. I was, and I was like, what's it. he going to do? Uh, to describe them noted that the Defense Department also had pushback forcefully on wider measures. So we got the Pentagon, the intelligence community, basically behind two representatives who made this change, Mike Roger and Turner. And they're widely to be understood on behalf um, acting behalf of these guys. Huh? Yep. So basically we got nothing. We got nothing out of we this. We got nothing. Although it could have been worse. We could have got more Ukraine spending in it. And apparently that was kept from happening. Which Zelensky was making his uh, like public victim tour going around trying to beg for money. Yeah, you were in D.C. recently. You you were running around looking for him. <laughs> it was funny. I, I Actually, in hindsight, I might have actually, I saw a presidential motorcade when I was down there. So Could have been him. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely like they shut down the whole street, all the intersections, and they have all the cars come around. They just go really, really fast right by you. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Just wave a $20 bill. Help us expand, and we can send Dave for on-the-ground reporting in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. After him. 
That sounds like fun. So, and then similarly, like the, this is this is the culmination of a bunch of stories. So we had the early committee hearings, and then we had David Grush. He got all the way all over the news since then. He's been on Newsweek and Newsmax and CNN and all these places. He was on Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, all similarly, and he actually made appeals to this before it came up on committee. Um, and he's like your favorite person, Joe. Like you, you love this guy. You just believe him all the way. Look, right? I, have, I have nothing against uh, David Grush at all. Uh, I'm very interested in, in the disclosure stuff. I just, it always seems to come up at very suspicious times. And our friend Adam Thune made this point in the discord that it's, you know, it's adjacent to some other things that are going on in the world that could make it, that just make it feel a little bit more like a distraction or a cover up. And yeah. that's just always feels that way. To but, me. The, but the problem in this case, and I hate to hate to, to hit Adam when he can't defend himself. But in this case, they're in the same bill. That's why they're coming up at the same time. Fair. Pfizer repeal is also in with the NDAA with the UAP because Congress can't do more than like four bills a year. But right why, now. why is UAP in the NDAA? Well, the, national well, defense because it's national defense and you can't pass separate bills in Congress right now. Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? Like you're going to do single subject bills. I mean, yeah, like if, if, you're, if, you're, a, if, you're, if you're, if you're a single issue person, like you're just going to be trying to slip your bill and your thing into whatever, whichever bill you can, like it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Congress Fair. is broken. Yeah. So, that, but, and, and it, it isn't to say that this is how Congress should work. I absolutely, it, I wish we could just like have a real functioning Congress. Like most state legislatures, wouldn't allow this sort of thing to happen. They have specific rules that keep omnibuses and large defense, like capture everything in one bill and cram it all by section area. Um, kind of legislating is it's broken. It's terrible. It's why we have such huge problems. But if you're a realist and you're actually trying to get something done on UAPs right now, the NDAA is your only avenue for doing that. So assuming that David Grush is trustworthy, what were the the kind of key takeaways from his appearances? Some of the stuff that I found interesting about him is kind of the stuff in the peripheral around him is like he's trying to do a bunch of stuff around like making it easier for whistleblowers to come out about this stuff, um, which if it was if this was a psyop, it, I don't know, it just feels kind of weird trying to get more whistleblower protections, right? Like, like you would think that a CIA guy would be like, no, no, like Edward Snowden bad, you know, like no whistleblower protections like um, and also he's just like highly autistic and it makes me trust him more. <laughs> There's something about my own autistic brain where I'm just like, yeah, that's what I think about that too. And maybe that's the psyop. Maybe I'm falling for mm. it. But like, as I've listened to him on both his Rogan appearance and his Tucker appearance, there's things about him where I feel more sincerity than when he's like, you know, in front of Congress. Like I, I kind of felt the same way you did when he was in front of Congress, but as I've listened to him more, it's like peeling it back a little, a little bit more. Interesting. And the longer form interviews, definitely he, he, he's definitely becoming better at talking to yeah. one as part of it is become like a public figure. And two, the more he rolls out his background, the more like, oh, okay, I actually know that agency. Oh, yeah, okay, I can I've track heard of it that. more. Yeah. It, it makes more sense when you say he's a highly decorated Intel person, how he wound up in this situation. Because if you're familiar with the disclosure stuff that happened under Obama that would have created the committee that he then was drafted, he's like basically served on to investigate this within the executive branch to then discovering that he had all these blocks to then saying, okay, what if I put together investor and inspector general, you know, a report on these blocks happening when I have a public interest to get past these blocks and they still wouldn't do it. And then he gets to the point where he realizes, Oh, if I don't go public, 
and whistleblow with this new congressional bill that allows me to do that legally to Congress, then I, you know, I'm going to get murdered, right? Functional. Like, and that's, that's why he's actually came out and said in these last two interviews. That this is for his own protection in a, in a sense. Yeah. yeah which oh, I have a clip from Tucker right here, but he, he echoed the same thing on Rogan as well was uh, exactly that. This is a nightmare to even be public. Right. You know, I, I'm used to working in a vault and briefing generals. This is not me. I'm not a public communicator, although I'm trying. And that's why I'm You're doing it. You're a very good communicator. Well, I appreciate it. But this is a serious subject with serious consequences. And I suffered a lot of serious consequences. So as you know, mm-hmm. um, you've totally convinced me that, you know, mm-hmm. of your sincerity. Um, there was a lot of whispering uh, about your motives this is an op. Why now? Why are we learning all yeah, this Yeah, pe- people think that I'm a part of some CIA psyop or something like that. First of all, I've never signed any kind of paperwork to be a part of an operation in that regard. Unfortunately, there isn't a plan. I'm not a part of a plan. I ended up becoming a leader of a, of a faction of um, you know, former government officials and current government officials that would like change in a legal way. And you know, I encourage, if there are people watching that have participated in those programs. There are multiple legal avenues, such as going to the Aero office, uh, going through the ICIG like I did, Intelligence Community Inspector General, or another cognizant inspectors general um, to legally provide this information. And there are also yeah. illegal but morally defensible avenues, like coming on this show, and I'd be delighted to host anyone who wants to tell the truth about what he's seen uh, and there's no justification for hiding this. That that's my evaluation. So I'd be happy to uh, to take that risk. I actually think I actually think I might have pulled the wrong clip from it. But no, he he covers that like yeah. he 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 does in some other spots get into some deeper parts of what what he actually suffered from threats and the ability of the intelligence community to reach out and touch him. Yeah, but if I were a part of a plan and a psyop <laughs> saying. I'm not part of a plan or a psyop. It's exactly what I would say. Yeah, right. So and that's, how, how do you trust it? That, yeah. that, the question is, what is your epistemology? Right? How do you know what you think you know? And if your epistemology requires you to not, it has a definition that would never require you to understand, like to, to believe anything, then you're, you're no longer like trying to engage in like truth seeking, right? So, 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 okay, then let's walk through what are your metrics for believing his story is he an actual intelligence officer confirmed okay does he is he obeying the rules around what he can and can't disclose that's one of the interesting parts right because everyone said well he doesn't have any evidence was like well if he doesn't want to give the evidence to the public that would be illegal to do and he's not trying to do the edward snowden thing right what he's trying to do is the legal method to put pressure on for outside change so that he could Mm. get real disclosure sure now i could see yeah, means, motive, and, mo- and and material evidence. We have means, right? He has his background, and that's checked out. Motive, he's been pretty clear about his motive and consistent about it over time. He wants disclosure. He thinks this is you know revelatory to the American people and in the public interest to know. And then material evidence. Well, we have no contradictory material evidence. In fact, the only hit job that we have on him where it's really questioned him, and he has been investigated, obviously, by the media at this point, was one Intercept article. That basically said, well, he had an alcoholism problem and PTSD from his time in Afghanistan, and he never lost his security clearance despite that. And it's like, well, 
it's like almost everybody in the intelligence agencies have some form of PTSD or other sorts of things. And then as he talks about that, you kind of watch and you're like, well, you know, that's a very compelling case. Well, and, and a lot of the stuff around that particular is that was used as a tool against him as he was starting to uncover these things, right? Yeah. Where like his PTSD of like watching his friends die in front of him, like it, it was used as a, against him to be able to try to like pull away his clearances and to mm. be able to try to do this stuff, right? So like the way he frames a lot of this is actually kind of like the agencies are somewhat against him and he and he talks about where he's had experiences and he won't go into these experiences which could be the psyop you know but he also he also would have that if you had an existing litigation yeah right and that's what he said he said i reported this to the inspector general and that's why you can't talk about and that's true like that's actually how that works right and one of the things oh sorry one of the things i'm looking for is is he just being vague to be vague or does he have real reasons for his vagueness and each time he does have reason for event he he actually explains it in a way that's compelling to it, me it, it makes sense to me as well those be, things because in each of those steps if you're actually the guy who is that we've been waiting for right <laughs> yeah like the guy on the inside who's had the conversations with the people who are you know are directly you know knowledgeable about these programs and you were going to do it to bring it to light, you need someone who's going to say, no, I know this is true, but I can't tell you about it unless I'm going to skip. Now, here's a great example. After he left, after he whistle blew, he lost his security clearance. Interesting. To get security clearance back, who do you need to, who do you need to ask permission from? The very people who are trying to keep the secret mm. unless Congress acts. So there's a, there's a bill to try to bring this and put it into the NDAA to get him his security clearance back, but it failed. Mm. Right? And who lobbied against it? The intelligence agencies. Yeah, so like if if he's like, why? I don't see the motive at that point. At some point here, I don't see the motive of these actions actually feeding him. He really right? seems to be, the more I listen to him, the more it seems like he's competing with the agencies themselves and that he is actually antagonistic to them in a large degree. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Like there there could be room, like maybe it's like 40 chests that's going on here, right? And like that's what the, the conspiracy people are going to be saying around here. Um as I listen to it more, I'm seeing less and less of that. Um, yeah. And you just got to ask yourself, like, what standard of evidence would it cause you to then say, like, well, this, uh, there's something here we should definitely check out. And I'm not saying you're not saying that. I mean, it's just that extreme skepticism is actually the problem. The skepticism says, like, well, I don't know. I have to see real evidence. Totally understandable. Right. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not criticizing that. And that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, really, yeah. is for me, it's like, you know, until I see it mm-hmm. with my own eyes, it's, it's going to be really hard for me to, like, buy into something that's like, yeah, it could be real. Bring up the Goldwater clip. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's been interesting is how he has brought back to light a lot of other public officials who have whistleblown that you wouldn't have guessed. And I didn't even know about. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of interested in this topic. Yeah. So here's uh, a Barry Goldwater, Goldwater, former, former, I mean, president, almost became president, right? If it wasn't for the assassination of JFK and Lyndon B. Johnson, he would have been president. Very likely. Uh, one of the reasons we have Reagan pillar of the Senate, a two-star general uh, at the, you know during the Cold War. Check it out. I think the government does know. I can't back that up, but I think that uh, at Wright-Patterson Field, if you could get into certain places, you'd find out what the Air Force and the government knows about UFOs. Reportedly, a spaceship landed it was all hushed up, quieted, and nobody ever, I've never heard about much of it. I called Curtis LeMay and I said, General, uh, I know we have a room at Wright-Patterson where you put all this secret stuff. 
And I go in there, and I've never heard him get mad. But he got madder than hell at me, cussed me out, said, don't ever ask me that question again. And he was the Joint Chief of Staff at the time uh, for the, uh, sorry, Chief of Staff of the United States Air Force from 61 to 65. This would be when Goldwater was part of the Senate leadership. Right? And he, he was denied. That's a, that's, mm-hmm. now we had reforms since then on intelligence agencies, but this is requesting an Air Force general, which is supposedly under the purview of the Senate, whether or not he could get access to something and was told no. And then like the way Goldwater talks about it, like he got really mad at me and cussed me out. I was like, what? <laughs> like that can't be how that works. But this kind of shows like the Cold War mentality, which is very much like everyone's kind of in and we're all in this together against the Soviets. Well, right? and also that there's mm-hmm. like, there seems to be these like renegade groups that are operating within the agencies, within government that are kind of doing their own things um, kind of behind the scenes, right? And so, like, when you have a senator coming in and, and asking about this, they're just like, that's not your purview. Like, we're doing something. Get You know, that's classified. Need to know, right? Um, and so, like, these renegade, renegade groups have been just kind of operating within these systems for a while. Like, and it's, it's not like the entire CIA is involved in something. You know, it's like there's just individuals that are acting inside of all of this. Yeah. So do you think that the fact that we got so close to pulling a few of these things out of the NDAA and, you know, all of that, means that there's any likelihood that we can actually reform some of these systems that are so broken as we've talked about? I think within our lifetimes, it's very possible, right? It's a matter of pressure, long-term commitment, you know, people's willingness to sacrifice to make it happen. And I to- think, totally think it's possible. I mean, and there's a there's a pivoting change happening. I mean, this last, next year, I, I can't remember if it's exactly the amount or slightly more, but we're going to spend as much money on servicing our national debt as we do on the military. Right, the yeah. system is fundamentally broken. We're an empire in the mean middle of collapse, and you know there's kind of like there's this there's this phenomena where nothing happens for decades, and then decades happens in minutes, right? or decades happens in days, where not a lot changes for a very long time, and a system is intercontradictory and can't hold itself together and is tearing itself apart like ours currently is. And just has fundamental contradictions. We're a public. Everyone learns that the Congress is in charge, that the will of the people and people are sovereign America. You learn that in school. And then when you grow up, you actually learn a little bit, maybe listen to the podcast for 20 minutes. And all of a sudden you find out that actually, no, there was a counter revolution a hundred years ago. And we've been in a controlled environment by a set of elites since then. It, it does seem like we're in a decade of just a major transition. Like yeah. it seems like once like 2030 hits, everything's going to be drastically different. And we're just in that transitionary phase. And it's like 2020, 2016, something like that was like really the, the catalyst that got the ball rolling on this. And, and we're now we're just like at this boiling point right now. And mm-hmm. who knows, like 2024 could be the everything boils over type of situation. I don't know. I mean, there are people out there who are skeptical that we even have, an election in 2024, which is a pretty extreme. Colonel Douglas McGregor said that. Yeah. Is that, is that he could see it being a thing where elections basically just don't happen. What's the circumstance around? Like, how could that possibly transpire? What would be, I mean, if we can like, just imagine for a second, how would that even go down? Some sort of an emergency would be like that. Cause that'd be the only way you could induct like some sort of martial law 
right? Like, I suppose. Like uh, like white pneumonia from China? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I mean, we, yeah. we saw in 2020 massive, massive election changes, like the, like the entire way that we do elections. There was massive changes across the board, um, in particular in very important states and things like that that occurred. And a lot of that was largely funded by these massive grant programs to get things changed without legislative bodies actually having a say-so in them. Because of emergency powers. Yeah, because of emergencies. I, I think it would be... It would if if that domino falls, a series of dominoes will fall, yeah. and that results in civil war. To me, and, like, so, I, and civil war doesn't look like it doesn't look like north versus south. Right. Like civil war looks more like it does in the modern age, which is like pockets. Like there's right. there's militia groups and pockets of things happening and resistances and autonomous zones forming and all that stuff, yeah. right? Go watch the Civil War trailer. I was, was going to say. It was uh, just a trailer of apparently Texas and California get together. And <laughs> yeah, that one doesn't really make sense. <laughs> Texas and California get together? Yeah. They're on the same side? There was a movie trailer Hot. that was put out like two days ago about uh, about Texas and California forming together and like storming D.C. in a Civil War because... I, and I don't know, like they meander through the Capitol again. I, I don't know. I don't know what the conclusion is, but <laughs> yeah. And I, I think uh, the minute the, you know, the system falls apart, there'll be a time where it's chaotic. And then the minute the middle class feels a economic and, you know, crunch, a change happens, right? It's just the Americans middle class is so huge and so insulated from most of the major problems. Like, like you feel inflation, right? At 7%. They feel it, but they don't feel it like the lower class does. And we have a very smaller, small lower class in America, right? Our, our our bottom class is very much smaller than most other classes. I mean, I think that's that's changing pretty rapidly. Well, I think, that's I think not a the lot stats of, say. In inflation-adjusted terms, at least up until about 2018, 2019. It's hard to say after 2020. We're still getting a lot of this information. But I mean, we're seeing we're seeing record consumer debt right now, right? Yes, we're seeing people take money out of retirement accounts to pay for expenses, and like and commercial debt. Right, yeah. right. But that's really a sense of 2020 phenomena, right? I mean, leading up until the COVID situation, I mean, I say COVID, schmovid. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, until the, the virus, there was, I mean, largely the biggest, the biggest shrinker of the middle class was people moving to the upper middle class. And that's inflation adjusted dollars. Now, that said, that didn't mean that there weren't problems. And there are tremendous problems. And I'm not, not denying that at all. There are effects of inflationarism. There are effects of the boom-bust cycle that consolidate things and make some people much more wealthy than other people than otherwise should be. There's all kinds of problems like that that come from that that aren't earned, that are rather just given based upon your circumstance and just the luck of the draw. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you you identify an interesting point there. COVID was an inflection. I mean... Schmovid. Now that we're being all careful about it, <laughs> trying to get big on YouTube, nah, man. <laughs> it, that was an inflection point, uh, and and you talk about you right. know nothing happens for decades, and then decades happen in days. Right. I think if if you know maybe we look back in ten years and we look at that being the pivotal moment where you know a ton of people were you know pushed out of their jobs, their businesses were closed down, and they and they never reopened. They you know they now they live on the street. Who knows, right? Like right. Th- that was a moment where. You know, the American middle class, small businesses, which make up so much of the American economy, were just completely devastated. Right. And I mean, it it's interesting. I think you're right. In, like, you know, by the time we get to 2030, we're going to be through some kind of transitional period that we're in right now. The question is, will we, will we be living in pods and eating bugs or will it be sort of like a, a renaissance, a go, another golden age for humanity if, we, if we're a- actually able to capitalize on this moment to produce a freer world where individuals are respected and and we kind of like are victorious over the powers that would rather 
clamp down on our freedom and you know subjugate us in so many different ways well and that's actually the big thing too is like so because we have kind of the battle between like the progressives and the conservatives and one way to look at that is the progressives want to move forward and the conservatives want to conserve what has happened already and one of my major critiques of conservatives typically is that they often are very luddite in their approaches to things and they 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 want to go back to the 60s they want to go back to you know whatever but no what what needs to be done is like there's this group of people that want to take all the new stuff that's going and kind of control the future and it's like that's also what you got to do but you got to you got to take the new technologies that are happening ai crypto etc you know all this stuff right and then use that for your own ends and and try to control and you got to compete over the future not have this like future versus past battle like we can't go back to the past like the the toothpaste is out of the tube right yeah uh we 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 got to move forward to 2030 i think we need to we need need to create a new party identity a progressive libertarian no stay away from the word progressive (laughs) don't don't workshop the word but but you get the idea no so i i think of it as managed decline Versus revitalization, which managed decline is the exact phrase that Obama used in the speeches. And it's also the phrase that FDR used Mm -hmm. and the phrase that um, uh, Carter used. Mm -hmm. And each one of those cases, you have the we have to deal with the new reality. And the new reality is government's going to be in charge of uh, everything forever because there's not enough resources. That's what we said during Great Depression. And then after the great after World War II was over, we said, "Well, we got to go back to managing the economy again the same way." And all these, oh, we can't drop all these price controls because unemployment is going to go back up when all these soldiers come home. And that didn't happen, right? And we had a tremendous area of revitalization without as much of a visionary leader, but it was definitely true that like Eisenhower and other people were definitely saying, "No, we're going to reliberalize the economy." Same story with Carter, where again we got to an inflection point where he was wearing the sweater in the White House and he's saying, Well, we just gotta deal with the fact that things that we can't, you know, heat our homes anymore because there's not enough oil. Right. And that didn't turn out to be completely false, as there was an alternative vision that came along and actually crushed that vision of managed decline, and that was Reaganism that said, No, well, we can we can cut all this stuff back. We don't need to do all this all these things. Um, and that revitalization is a big part of that. Like you need to re-energize your fundamental culture. And that's just and like your, your culture informs your politics, right? So it has to be on that cultural level of no, are we enough? Can we build our way out of this? Can we innovate our way out of this? Can we become what conquers this problem as opposed to we need to put the smartest people in charge so that they can tell us how best we can manage this decline of civilization. That's just, that's just false. And we just have to fight that fundamental cultural battle. So there, there's a there's a faction of of political influence in the United States that's in power right now that that is actively trying to manage the decline of the United States. Yeah, yes. It has been for decades. That, that so is like, like their objective. Yeah. Like, like that is the exact words that they use. Like yeah. like you can like or I'll, I'll I'll search right now. Obama managed decline speech. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely tracks. It, it tracks. It tracks along the the sort of you know humans are a parasite on Earth kind of narrative. The um, you know what? What are the what are the terms the the group that we call them the the WEF people? Yeah, I mean there was like the it's like that nihilist like anti human uh, anti natalism something uh, like that yeah or, or just like the death cult right yeah we the death cult that's exactly. how Elon Musk described it it's like this this um this strange mixture of progressivism liberalism with like a civil liberties bent but also like a you know I'm going to care about the victims kind of regardless of the cost sort of mentality. Uh, to right all the wrongs of the past, right? And it's like a navel-gazing type approach to thinking about politics. It's like the worst interpretation of it, right? Is to say, like, you're so obsessed with the victim, you know, oppressor dynamic, you don't care about the fact that people are pooping in the streets and, you know, making an unsafe environment for children 
and you know dying in the streets from heroin overdoses like you don't care about that all you care about is just making sure they can't they get to live their best life you know Mm -hmm. Uh, that sort of vision you know itself has like a toxicity to it of decline right that we can't solve a problem like this like in the 19 in the in the 1890s institutionalization right that happened up through the enlightenment era of saying like hey people with mental health disorders we're going to put them all in a hospital together and it was abused and it had all kinds of problems right <laughs> husbands who didn't like their wives anymore and wanted to get divorced would be like ah she's she's crazy throw her in the mental institution i can get a divorce right that's legit yeah oh yeah that really wow. happened yeah um uh, other sorts of things would happen to people you know based upon race or uh, parents would do that with their daughters or, you know, if they like, got into an interracial relationship to get them away from the man, for example, and the other one, um, and other sorts of things, corruption would happen in there. Uh, so then we said, no, we're going to take all that out and we're going to deinstitutionalize because inst- those institutions are evil and look, all these terrible people who are in mental institutions. So we took them out, we spilled them in the streets and we said, this is the compassionate thing to do as they're living outside in negative 20 degree weather. Right. And you're like, and meanwhile, it, I think there was some some UN official that visited the United States and said, like, this is the least humane thing I've ever seen. Yeah, right. So, like, we we do that. There's a point there where we can just say, well, there's no solution here. So we just we just manage the decline. We're just going to have them live in the streets, and we're just going to do the best we can. Well, and part of the belief on the managed decline thing is also that America. It's a recognition that America is top dog, but it's not going to be top dog forever. So they want to manage the decline right. to as things start to equalize again. Like it's sort of like a you know, it's like a pump and dump of America kind of a thing. And they right. want to just like, they want to make the, the, the downness on the chart be more manageable in, of, in a Keynesian sense. Well, in order to understand this point of view, you have to zoom out really far, right? This is like the kind of thing that happens when you think about politics all the time, which is this big arc, right? So like the story I just told about mental health, we are still like, there's a giant question mark. What the hell do we do with people with mental health issues? How do we distinguish? How do we differentiate? How do we have that and balance out with civil liberties? I don't know. But there's like a solution out there or not. And if you don't believe there's any solution out there and the best you can do is just manage the decline of civilization into wherever we're going to go, that's managed decline, right? Uh, or you have the foreign policy question. The neoconservatives are as much managed decline as anyone else. Their entire question in a project for a new American citizenry was how do we make sure when America is on top that when we disappear as an empire, we leave behind something that's better, Right? That whole question that. just says it's a basic subject is we're going to go bankrupt as we necessarily do this as they actually create the policies that would make us go bankrupt, which is some strange like. So so to me, it seems like it it really is more of a plan and less of a, oh, well, this is just a thing that's happening and we're just going to do our best to manage it on the way down. It's actually like they are creating a self-fulfilling prophecy in a, in a sense. Yeah, it's creating and becoming, right? So it's like there's this yin-yang thing happening, right? So the more you talk about the limits to growth, the more limits to growth there are, right? The more you talk about how human ingenuity and creativity can solve these problems, the more of those solutions that you can find. We should probably talk about those more then. Mm. Well, well, it's, well, it's a difficult thing because people aren't as interested in it. People have their brains are, detect, are, are wired for threat detection, not for opportunity, Right, so your primary thing is like there's a tiger in those bushes. That's why it's mo- the bushes are moving. That's the wind. That's a higher right. stimulus than you know to sit and think long and hard about how to build a better world or well. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and there is a deep anti-humanism that exists there too. Like I've I've read a lot of these people's books. Like I've read like two or three of Klaus Schwab's books, and like the the, the belief that there's like too many people on the planet and we actually have to decline population as a whole is also a very major factor in here. Like like back in the day, like the Club of Rome wanted, said that. Uh, 500 million people was 
was like the max most that we should capacity. have is, yeah. is max carrying capacity. But you know, we, we know that's not true. It's but, also what the Georgia Guidestones said before they were blown up. Well, it, it, there is a lot of different, <laughs> there's a lot of different beliefs around here. Like a lot of people think it's two, 2 billion. A lot of people think it's 200,000. Like, and so then you think about it. If, if saving the planet is the most highest priority and there's too many people on the planet, what do you got to do? Like kill people. You got to do something. We got to tear apart civil society, right? Mm. The thing that holds everything together. That's what, that's one of the kind of the the worst components of the disintegrated components of our culture is that we have a hard time dealing with the fact that some people really just actually don't like humanity. Want to get rid of it. You want to reduce it. Like there's a whole philosophy. It's called antinatalism. Yeah. (laughs) There's a whole philosophy around it and people and big thinkers that are starting to rise and rise and rise that are in that philosophy. And, and, and people who are very specifically pointing, pushing back, and when they push back, they sound strange, right? So when Elon Musk says, no, we should have way more children, it's completely unintuitive. You ask your average person out of the street, hey, is there too many people on the planet? They're going to say, yeah. Well, and, and kids are taught in schools that there's too many people on no. the planet because of like climate alarmism and climate pessimism and all this stuff, right? Like yeah. all these like left brain nonsense words that are just filled with jargon into kids, right? Well, not only that. Go f- yourself. <laughs> there you Had go, to. Elon. I was looking Perfect. for my time. You got for it. It. I could tell you were looking for something. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get in edgewise. Yeah, no, I'm thing. trying to riff here because I really love this point. <laughs> is there's the, um, Elon Musk makes this point because it's an older point, right? This is an informed history that goes all the way back to Malthus. Right, that just uses simple math to say, hey, there's this many resources and this many people. As population grows, the resources don't change. That was wrong all the way going back to the 18th century. It's still wrong today. Another one, a great one, is uh, uh, Paul Ehrlich, the population bomb. Paul Ehrlich is Thanos. If you look at Thanos as a character, mm-hmm. he is based on the Malthusian Paul Ehrlich argument. The media still goes to Paul Ehrlich for environmental advice. No matter, even though he was completely wrong. Now, the great story is Paul Ehrlich took a bet in the 1970s with an economist. The economist says, hey, as population grows, economics predicts that as you grow the population, your total stock of ingenuity increases, and so does your ability to extract resources from the ground so that you don't run out of resources. That's what we've seen forever, right? If we, if we need more chickens, we breed chickens to make more chickens. We Makes run sense. out of grain. Uh, we run out of a- area for, you know, agriculture. We irrigate. Uh, eventually, all those sort of things. So Paul Ehrlich predicts we're going to have all these starvation things that happened in the 1970s and 80s. We're going to, you know, all the prices of these things are going to go up and up and up and inflation just the terms, et cetera, et cetera, right? He says everything's going to be impossible to live as population increases. He takes a spat with this economist that says that we're going to, and I can't remember the economist's name. Can you look it up? Because I want to give the guy credit. It's uh, Paul Ehrlich bets yeah, economist. Yeah, a bet, yeah. Uh, and he, 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 you know, he takes his bet 20 years go by at the end of the bet, Paul Ehrlich has to write this guy a check, right? Because if you look at oil, oil, the prices do go up and down depending on policy, but in general, we get access to more oil because we have innovation that then helps us grow our ability to increase the size of the pie. Uh, food is a great example. Um, Norman Borlaug is a Nobel winning, um, biologist who invented dwarf wheat that saved billions of people and he's not a household name right it's absurd that we know you know uh, taylor swift of, <laughs> i was well, gonna say other scientists well, or, so it's a fair comparison. paul ehrlich is like a big name like yeah, anybody that's but not like, norman you yeah. know because he's just he's just some kid from the from the west well, well and the, the guy who won the bet julian simon no nobody julian knows simon. his name yeah exactly. nobody knows who he yeah, is and, right? then, and, the, and you don't see the press going to him for advice right no, no, the guy that was wrong and lost the bet is like <laughs> the high prestigious person, right? Right, right. And Norman Borlaug, he sells, he, just by inventing dwarf wheat, you know, he, he saves Southeastern Asia, 
from starvation and overpopulation problems through i mean in this case gmo so you know yeah, keep your head on. yeah i whoa, know how you are whoa, whoa. <laughs> easy you're a local hippie anyways uh, <laughs> but the gmo like like that saves the world right that one invention this managed decline managed like we can't let the rubes know what's really happening you know turning about to uaps the the super smart people are going to be in charge and they're going to keep america safer they're going to plan the security of the globe whether it's the security establishment we're going to plan the health of the globe that's the wef that's the world health organization that's the that's the fda that's the uh the cdc all of those organizations are built on this progressive premise that you're too dumb to manage your life and so we gotta have the smart people do it for well, you. Well, and, and the idea goes back all the way to Plato. Like this is this is not a new concept. It's the whole concept of the noble lie. Is that the elites of society they kind of know what's best, and they have to they have to give lies because like the normal people will bastardize the ideas, and they they have to. You kind of just have to get them to get go along with it. So you have to create mythologies around it. You got to get get them to kind of like worship things like the government and and put all these things in front of them so that uh, the people that matter and are making the decisions, the technocrats can keep things going, right? Like, that's the entire idea. It's all idea. about the greater good. The greater good. That's for you, you big did. guy. Oh! <laughs> the greater good. The yeah, greater that's absolutely good. right. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. So I got one more for you. Okay. And some more evidence. Mike Pompeo, former CIA director and former Secretary of State. Now, it's actually really interesting that he was both those roles, kind of dangerous roles. And this is an interview with John Stossel, the Stoss, about the JFK files that they're talking about. And one of the quotes that he says here, I want you to listen for it. And I'm kind of disappointed that Stossel does not push him more on this because it's like one of those things where you're like, what? Yeah. Why'd you fight to keep the JFK files secret? Uh, Because I was trying to keep Americans safe. And by the way, don't paint with too broad a brush. 99.6% of the JFK files are public today. But it was 60 years ago. John, not everything was 60 years ago. Uh, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time What's walking he trying through to say? this, but suffice it to say, the definition of a document covered by this statute that you're referring to, it's a little bit wonky, but suffice it to say, if Congress holds a hearing tomorrow on the Kennedy assassination, the documents generated tomorrow will be part of those files. Those would be tomorrow, they'd be 60 seconds old, not 60 years old. Uh, and last thing I'll say is there are things that happened 60 years ago that are still important to keep in the vault. There are lots of things that happened that long ago that still are appropriate not to release. Think of names and addresses and families. And, and by the way, there's also no value in them. These, these don't hold the dark secrets that everybody wants to just hold up as the bogeyman. I saw the UFO files too. Uh, we've got bigger problems. Uh, America, lots of bigger problems. Just because something is kept secret, why not not go to the darkest corners? Yeah. So that's, he's seen the UFO file too, and we have a lot bigger problems. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? Who's the psyop, Joe? Who's the psyop? Which, I think, which side? <laughs> I think that dude's the psyop, to be clear. <laughs> but he's the former CIA director. I would agree. I would agree. <clears throat> Interesting. I mean, it is a little wonky, but like, so a document made about something that happened 60 years ago, but made yesterday on a hearing about it or something, it becomes a part of that file that's then declassified along with those files? You know, it's, it's like that. No, no, no. Wait, what he's just saying is that what are, you, what are you asking? That, 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 was, that was what he just said. If they have a hearing and they make a, they're, they're a, oh. a document is made on yeah. something that they are talking about that happened 60 years ago, that document that's made in that hearing yesterday becomes a part of that file yes. that is then subject to release. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's, for disclosure on the JFK assassination specifically because the way they wrote it. Yeah. To be fair, though, when he's saying like names and addresses, like that's stuff that could be redacted, right? Like appropriately. Yeah. Although although they might not be able to redact certain things with the JFK assassination because there have been redacted releases and that's what kind of ticks everyone off is because you can't tell what that was going on. Well, I know, but so that's when they just redact freaking everything. statute might not allow them to redact as much as they mm-hmm. otherwise might. Uh, but uh, on the other side of it, he could be lying his ass off because there's no doubt that the, uh, the intelligence agencies have done this before about this very subject. You would never expect a spy to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> never. Never. <laughs> you know, it, and it's so funny because we have this strange relationship with the intelligence agencies as a country right where we're both there's a lot of like institutional trust in a sense that's so degraded as we know more about them um or we just have like a blind spot or we don't talk about it or it's like a spy movie thing where it's kind of made cool but then like the whole integration of that with our vision of government of the good government of the thing that we're taught taught in your eighth grade civics class that we're supposed to be run by a legislature uh, that's elected by the people. The government's just us. It's we the people. We <laughs> are the government. Yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> Gay! <laughs> I'm still getting the hang of it. Um, You'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like, you know, there's no information that's of value to anybody in the JFK files. Of like, come on. Like, the stuff that we have gotten out of here, like, like this is where the operation mockingbird became like not just a conspiracy theory it became like declassified was when trump released the jfk files on what we had like that was where it like confirmed for us of like oh the cia was infiltrating media organizations Mm -hmm. right like we've gotten plenty here and it's also like there's so much shadiness that exists around like jack ruby and all this stuff is like i I think american people 60 years later should know about what happened there well and then the reason why is because the existing paradigm the major theory is that a certain intelligence agency in America is the one who killed the president. That's what a large part of the population believes. And then, and then killed the guy who killed the president. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like that's also the, the stuff in the more recent stuff that's come is like, Oh, you see the psychologist that went into Jack to see Jack Ruby before he went out and shot. Um, uh, what's his name? The, the assassin. You're talking about RFK, Jack Ruby. It was, uh, Oh, the, sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm mixing up the situations. No. Um, what was his name? Uh, Yes. Yeah, but then the guy who shot Lee Harvey Oswald was another guy. Yeah. What was his name? Was another guy. <laughs> yep. He was another guy. But like the the, 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 the psychiatrist that went in to see what him, this the psychiatrist that went in to see him turns out he was part of the MK Ultra program. Mm. <laughs> and and how small this is. So I've read this year. No, you were right. Yeah, no, you're it's Jack right. Ruby. Jack, Jack Ruby's Ruby. the guy right. that shot Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah okay. I was thinking of the RFK. But you're right. Maybe second, second guess myself. The, the, the point being that the, the amount of people that we're talking about is extremely small. Check out the book, The Devil's Chessboard uh, by Talbot. I think it's yeah. mm-hmm. Talbot. Uh, that book you know, like you have the means, motive, and material evidence for the assassination. We don't have material evidence, right? We, we have some material evidence of the Lee Harvey Oswald one, um, but not all of it. And just how much to be discussed there and how much is there. Like for a long time in my political life, you know, I would see assassination stuff come up and I would always be like, that's just like a boomer shibboleth, right? It's just like a thing that happened. I kind of treated it like the same way people treat uh, oh, Tupac being still alive or something like that, you know, like. It was a thing that for Gen Xers was such a huge deal that he died. Um, or or same thing with like uh, the grunge singer. What's his name? Um, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. Uh, him not really having killed himself. Like there's like a denial and like a it can't be true sort of thing. 
that I just kind of associated with the JFK assassination until the longer things go and the more we look at, you know, everything we've learned from Edward Snowden on that there's like this break in the dam about how much publicly available information there is about the intelligence agencies and how utterly irredeemably corrupt they become at different points in time in history. Well, and there's just an element too, because like I've always had my back and forths with a lot of people that tend to be in the political sphere that are like, oh, that's just nonsense, blah, blah, blah. And there's like, what motive would they have to do this? Like that, that, that always gets thrown at me. It's like, what motive would they have to like assassinate JFK or something like that? It was like, you don't think having control over the biggest government and centralized like force of power in the world history is the, is a good enough motive <laughs> to <laughs> kill someone? Motive. You're like, not just that. Well, obviously <laughs> the, the, the obvious, the, 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 the told note motive is clear to anybody who's taken two seconds to look at it. That's, that's the thing too. It's like the longer the, if you just go on the publicly available information, you can get there really quickly. Now it still takes leaps of, of belief, right? At minimum, you have to say that there are many holes in the story. At minimum, you got to say there's contravailing information. At minimum, you can say that there was very obviously people part of the commission, commission to investigate the assassination of the president who had a conflict of interest, such as Alan Dulles himself, the director of the CIA, who got fired after the Bay of Pigs, who was sitting right there, you know, at the right time, still highly connected to the agency, who was very obviously anti-JFK. So, I mean, come on, man. Like, means more of material come on, evidence. Man. Come on, come man. on, man. Yeah, it's there. Dave's just going full Biden this episode. He's no. just like, come on, man. Come on, come on man. man. All right. So, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the politics episode. I love that's it. This one. Well, for David Rand, Kyle Mack, and Bennett on the ones and twos, I'm Joe Sheehan. Thanks so much for watching today. We'll see you in the next one. Only the paranoid survive. Thanks for tuning in to Human Reaction. Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your friends. To find us around the internet, visit linktree.com slash human reaction pod. And remember... How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Gotta get faster on that, buddy. Well, there's a delay on the on thing, too. Like, How oh, dare you? Like, I press the button, and then it takes, like, a second, actually. Mm. So you actually just hit. gotta be ahead by a second. That's right. Go f*** yourself. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> <laughs>